0: In case you don't know me, my name's Cade. I'm the lead pastor here alongside my wife, Beth. And at No Limits, we're here to help you know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. I want you guys to know something about my little intro that I do every Sunday. I do that because there's always new people in the room, and they need to know what we're about. But I also want you to know that the youth always makes fun of me. if they're like, Because they're, like, if they're pretending to be Cade. These are the things that they're saying. In case you don't know me, my name's Cade. But bottom line is, this is a place to come in, get equipped, so you can go out. And make a difference for the kingdom of God. So today I'm continuing our series about the end times. Although many of you have maybe been avoiding this subject, I believe this series is actually going to bring you great comfort. So I'm really glad you're here. And I encourage you to get excited about this series because God promises a special blessing for us. Take a look at what I mean in Revelation 1-3. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. All right, I am blessed. And he blesses those who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. This means I'm going to be blessed for bringing you this series. You're going to be blessed for listening to the word of God and doing what it says. Who's ready for a great blessing today? Amen. Well, let's talk about the rapture of the church. I got on my boxing gloves to take on one of the most controversial subjects in church. And I'm not afraid at all. I'm actually excited to bring you this message today. But have you noticed that Christians are not the only ones who talk about the end of the world? It's the entire world knows that the end is coming. And to prove my point, I'm going to show you a few of the popular end times movies. And if it's one that you enjoyed, I want you to give it your shout of approval. All right, here we go. Here's the first one, the day after tomorrow. Uh, so we're okay on that. Okay, Armageddon. Yeah. Wally. Yeah. Anthony, I didn't hear you. That's our movie. Wally. Independence Day. Yeah. War of the Worlds. All right, are, are we for the original or the remake? Yeah. <laughs> we're mixed reviews out there. But the entire world knows that the end is coming, and it's why politicians can manipulate people with the fear of climate change. Some expect the world to die by famine or pollution or during an alien invasion. (laughs) Others are expecting nuclear war or biological weapons to take us out. But a Christian who believes the Bible is concerned with none of that, none of it. Why? Because we're anticipating what Paul revealed to us in first Thessalonians chapter four. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves and then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. So this is what's referred to as the rapture of the church, and I'm here to encourage you today. Jesus is coming back for his church, and when he does, we will be rescued from this place, and we will live with the Lord forever. Forever. Anybody excited about that? I've always been excited about serving God, if you can't tell. I mean, that's why I'm a pastor. I'd hope I'd be excited about serving God, right? But through my study on the sin times, I'm even more excited than I've ever been. I'm like, wow. Ah! It's going I'm so excited. It's not because I'm looking for an escape out of here It's just like man We get to serve god while we're here and then he gets to just pull us up in the clouds and We go to live with him forever Amazing i'm excited But on the day of the rapture the world the people who are left behind it's going to go crazy Because empty cars are going to come crashing to a stop Dinner will be left on the table with no one there to eat it. That's what's going to happen at our house Those left behind will be frantically looking for their loved ones. The news will be inundated with airplane crashes, missing person reports, closed highways from all the accidents. And the fake news is going to bring on the experts to explain how the unvaccinated suddenly combusted because they did not obey the orders of Dr. Fauci. That is what happened here. I bet it's going to happen. You think it's crazy. We'll just have to watch that from the clouds, huh? (laughs) Politicians are going to post how the world is better off without these right-wing, Bible-believing, politically incorrect hate mongers. And then other religions will explain how the rapture is how God dealt with the Christians by wiping them out and removing them from the earth. Churches are going to be packed with casual churchgoers who bought into the woke ideology. They'll finally realize that although they like the idea of believing in Jesus, they'd been deceived into believing a counterfeit. So when will the rapture occur? Not everybody agrees <laughs> on when the rapture will occur. But there are three main opposing views regarding the timeline of the rapture. And I'm going to briefly explain each and take you through scripture to determine which is the most accurate. But first, I got to reestablish the ground rules from last week. It's okay if we disagree on the details of the end times it's okay. As long as we all agree that Jesus is coming for his church, that's what we need to agree on. We need to be ready and we need to help others get ready. So if you disagree with my stance on the timeline of the rapture, we don't need to argue about it. We don't, I'm not interested in an argument about it. I'll tell you that we can simply agree that Jesus is coming back. And when he does, we'll know who is right. We'll know. All right. Before I get into the three viewpoints about the rapture, it's going to be helpful for you to understand the purpose of the tribulation. Most have heard about the seven-year tribulation that leads to the end of the age. We're going to get into the details of that next week, but a question I want to answer right now is why. Why is the tribulation part of God's plan? Have you ever thought that to yourself? Why? Why do we have to do this? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses is dealing with, with Israel, and he's urging them, the people to obey. And he warns them that if they don't obey, they're going to be scattered among the nations. And well, most of us know how that turned out, right? They didn't obey and they were scattered. And then by the grace of God, they were brought back together. And then they were scattered again because they disobeyed again. And then in 1948, Israel once again regathered. We talked about that last week. That is the super sign of the end times. It's how we know we are the generation that will see all of the end time prophecies fulfilled. Something cool for you. Did you know that yesterday was Israel's 74th anniversary as a nation? That was yesterday. And today, we're going to have a blood moon. And I briefly told you guys last week how the blood moons have always aligned with something significant going on in Israel. And there, God gave you an example. That's so cool. So I think the blood moon, if you want to see it, that's, what that is, is it's a lunar eclipse. I think we're able to see it from like 10 p.m. tonight and on, right? So go outside and check it out. Yep, But back to Deuteronomy chapter four, Moses urged them to obey and let them know that they'd be scattered if they didn't. And then he said this about the end times in the distant future. When you are suffering all these things, talking about the tribulation, you will finally return to the Lord, your God and listen to what he tells you. Finally, for the Lord, your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon you or destroy you or forget the solemn covenant he made with your ancestors. So the suffering of the tribulation has a few purposes. One is to punish all those who continue to reject God and Jesus. But one you've likely yet to consider is what's revealed in this scripture. The tribulation will cause the people of Israel to return to God. They've been in rebellion for a long time and God wants them back. And the prophet Jeremiah confirms this in Jeremiah chapter 30. In all history, there has never been such a time of terror. Talking about the tribulation. It will be a time of trouble for my people Israel. Yet in the end, they will be saved. Praise God. The tribulation is going to be a time of great terror, but in the end, Israel is going to be saved. Why is this so important to God? Why are the people of Israel so important to God? Because he made a covenant. With them. He made a covenant with Israel. He promised Abraham land and he promised Abraham descendants. And God does not go back on his promises. A word of warning for you there's people out there who slander Israel, even Christians who slander Israel. Have no part of that. Never slander Israel. Are they on the right track? No. But God's going to bring them back, and we need to be praying for them. So this is a good time to explain that there's three groups of people that scripture refers to. All throughout scripture, there's Jews, there's Gentiles, and there's the church. Now, before Jesus, there were only Jews and Gentiles. And the Old Testament actually referred to the Gentiles as the nations. So the Gentiles and the nations are the same thing. But now when somebody believes in Jesus, they become a new creation. Any new creations in the room, they become part of the church. They're no longer Jew. They're no longer Gentile. They become part of the church. They're a new creation. You need to know this because all scripture is written for the church. All scripture is written for the church, but not all scripture is written about the church. For example, the scriptures we just read were written about Israel, not the church. They're written about Israel. The tribulation is kind of like that last call for Israel to repent. It is God giving them one last chance to return to him. God wants the Jews to believe in Jesus and receive their salvation. That's what God wants. For the past 2,000 years, we've been in the age of grace. And we are thankful to live in the age of grace. God has given us lots and lots of time to, to turn to Jesus without all the terrors of the tribulation. But his wrath is coming. His wrath is coming. It reminds me of parenting. (laughs) Beth and I have five kids, all ages six and under. Whenever we put them to bed at night, we say, do not get out of your bed for any reason. You remember. Ten minutes later, our three-year-old comes out explaining how bad she has to potty, even though she just went ten minutes ago. Five minutes after that, our four-year-old comes out because she forgot to fill her water cup. And simultaneously, our three-year-old comes back out because she drank all of her water and needs a refill. And then our one-year-old is crying in his crib because he threw his blankie, his pacifier, and his cup out of the crib. And now he's ready to go to sleep and he needs it all back. All the parents in the room know exactly what I'm talking about. That's why you're laughing. You extend grace for a while. But then there comes a point where you find out the grace strategy isn't quite working on all of them. (laughs) So there's got to be some consequences. This is what God's been up to. He's been giving us lots and lots of grace. Lots of grace. Then there comes a point where the wrath of God is going to be poured out on all those who don't believe in Jesus Christ. And his wrath is poured out during the tribulation. And during that tribulation, he's given people seven more years to turn to Jesus Christ. And lots of people will. It's believed that millions of people will turn to Christ during the tribulation. Amazing. I'm getting a bit ahead of myself because we're going to talk about the tribulation next week, but I need you to understand the purpose of the tribulation because it's going to help you understand the rapture. The tribulation is giving people, especially the nation of Israel, one last chance to believe in Jesus and receive their salvation. If you're not going to get it through grace, then maybe you'll get it through this. With that in mind, let's go through the three viewpoints regarding the timing of the rapture. The first one I want to go over is the mid-tribulation rapture. And the mid-tribulation rapture suggests that the church will have to endure the first half of the tribulation and will be raptured before the second half when things get much worse. Some with this viewpoint believe that we will be raptured three and a half years into the tribulation, while others believe we'll be raptured five and a half years into the tribulation. There are several scriptures that seem to lean towards a mid-tribulation rapture, But the the viewpoint begins to struggle when you take into account the history and the nature of God. You see, Scripture tells us that God will begin pouring out his wrath on the earth at the beginning of the tribulation. He's pouring out his wrath all seven years of the tribulation. And then his wrath is going to intensify three and a half years in. But get this, not once has God poured out his wrath on the righteous. Genesis 18, Abraham was negotiating with God over the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember that? It's a good story. You should go read it if you haven't. God was done with the evil that was going on there. He said, I'm going to destroy the city. I'm done with it. Abraham said, wait, 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 wait. What if we can find 50 righteous in the city? Will you destroy the city? Will you destroy the righteous along with the unrighteous? And God replied, I will spare the entire city if you can find 50 righteous. Unfortunately, there were not 50 righteous. So Abraham kept negotiating all the way down to 10. And God said that he would spare the entire city if they could find 10 righteous people in the city. Well, there weren't 10 righteous. There was only one, and his name was Lot. So the Lord had Lot and his family leave the city. And as soon as they were gone, he destroyed the city. I want you to notice that God did not pour out his wrath on the righteous, He waited until the righteous were moved out of harm's way before pouring out his wrath on the evil city. Same thing with Noah in the ark. Same thing. God did not send the flood to destroy the earth until the righteous were on the ark and tucked away from harm's way. Not once has God poured out his wrath on the righteous. And although the last half of the tribulation will be worse than the first half, the entire tribulation is the wrath of God. This is the fatal flaw of the mid-tribulation viewpoint. You have to accept that the righteous will have to endure God's wrath alongside the unrighteous. To me, the mid-tribulation viewpoint is kind of like if I told my wife, Hey, babe, there's this terrible guy coming to live in our house. He's known for rape and all kinds of evil. I'll allow him to do his thing for a few years, but I'm going to rescue you out before it gets too bad. That's what it's like because we are the bride of Christ, aren't we? That's not the God I know. The God of the Bible holds back his wrath. He holds it back, and he gives us chance after chance after chance because his desire is for us to be saved. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you might be thinking, well, I've gone through quite a bit of suffering, so it sure seems God has pouring out his wrath on the righteous already. The suffering you've experienced is not God's wrath. Not even close. We are in the age of grace, God is not pouring out his wrath. He's not. None of the things that you go through is God's punishment. He is not pouring out his wrath. We are in the age of grace. He's holding it back until the tribulation. What you are experiencing today is the same thing that Lot experienced back when he lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. When you're surrounded by people who are consumed with evil, you're going to go through some struggles. You're going to go through some trials because of what's going on around you. The suffering we've experienced leading up to the tribulation will look like child's play compared to what happens during the tribulation. We'll look back, we'll be like, I can't believe I complained about that. Can we go back to that? The people who are left behind, will be. can we go back to that? That wasn't so bad. A mid-tribulation rapture just doesn't line up with the character of God. So I believe the mid-tribulation viewpoint falls flat for that reason. So here's the second viewpoint, the post-tribulation rapture. And the post-tribulation viewpoint suggests that we will go through the entire seven-year tribulation. At the end, we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and immediately return back to earth for the millennial reign. I'll get into that in part four. But pretty much everything I just explained about the mid-tribulation rapture obviously applies to this as well. Not once has God poured out his wrath on the righteous. Some will argue that we're going to be shielded from God's wrath as we go through the tribulation, much like the Israelites were shielded from the plagues of Egypt. The difference is the Israelites were not living among the Egyptians. They were kind of separated into their own area, which enabled God to pour out his wrath on Egypt, but not the Israelites. We're living among the world. We're not camping out in our own community. We are in the world, but we're not of it, right? And on top of this, Jesus does not refer back to Egypt whenever he's talking about the end times. Not once did he refer back to Egypt, but he refers back to Lot, and he refers back to Noah. Take a look in Luke 17. When the Son of Man returns, it'll be like it was in whose day? Noah's day. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. And the world will be like it was in the days of who? Lot's. People went about their daily business, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building until the morning Lot left Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, It will be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. To me, there's no way this could be talking about the mid-tribulation, especially not the end of the tribulation. How could it be business as usual whenever the world economy has exploded, has fallen apart, and a quarter of the population has been wiped out? As I was studying all this, there were times whenever I would be considering a mid-tribulation rapture. I'd be like, you know, I get where people get this. There's some scriptures to back it up. But the explanation of the end times, this explanation of the end times from Jesus always messed it up. Like I would be like, okay, let's, let's go through this mid-tribulation, post-tribulation stuff. Uh, and then I get to Jesus. He talks about Lot and Noah. And I'm like, crap. It was just blown to smithereens. Got messed up. It'll be like the days right up until Noah entered the boat. It'll be like the days leading up to the morning. Lot left Sodom and Gomorrah. Business as usual, right up until the day Jesus comes back. And when that day comes, everything changes. Here's how Jesus said it's going to go down. That night, two people will be asleep in one bed, and one will be taken, the other left. Bummer. Two women will be grinding flour together at the mill. One will be taken, and the other left. Just like it was with Lot. The tribulation will not commence until the righteous are taken away. Which leads me to the third viewpoint, the pre-tribulation rapture. And the pre-tribulation viewpoint suggests that the church will not go through any part of the tribulation. As I'm sure you've guessed already, I believe this is the correct viewpoint for many reasons. The tribulation is a horrendous time when the age of grace ends and the wrath of God is poured out. Yet here's what the Apostle Paul says about the church. In Romans 8.1. So now there is no condemnation, which means judgment. There is no judgment for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Those who have repented of their sins and believed in Jesus have been forgiven and cleansed from all unrighteousness. That's us. There's no judgment for us. Jesus already took care of that. And another reason is the Apostle Paul gives us a clear example, a clear explanation of the pre-tribulation rapture in 2 Thessalonians. You see, the believers in Thessalonica they were experiencing great persecution because of their faith in Christ. It was bad. And they were wanting to know if, that, if they were in the tribulation. I mean, it was that bad. Are we in the tribulation right now? I bet they were questioning First Thessalonians where Paul said that they were not appointed to wrath. It's like, well, this sure seems like God's wrath. Did you lie to us, Paul? So Paul starts off by assuring them they are not in the tribulation. Y'all, you're not in the tribulation. And then he explains that the tribulation cannot begin until the antichrist is revealed. So how do we know we're not in the tribulation right now? The Antichrist has not been revealed. And then Paul goes on to explain further. He says, and you know what's holding him back, the Antichrist, for he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. So the Antichrist cannot be revealed until his appointed time. And God is the only one who can decide that time. The Holy Spirit is holding back the Antichrist until God says, Holy Spirit, move out the way. Now's the time. And for God to move the Holy Spirit out of the way, he's going to have to remove his church because the Holy Spirit resides in us. First Corinthians 3.16, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and the spirit of God lives in you? When the church is raptured, the earth will once again become void of the Holy Spirit And without the Holy Spirit in the way, the Antichrist can now be revealed. The rapture will be a glorious day for the church. It'll be glorious as we go to be with the Lord. It's also going to be a glorious day for Satan as his restraint is finally removed and he can do what he wants to do through the Antichrist. God provided Lot with a way of escape before destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. God also planned Noah's escape before destroying the world. These are two accounts Jesus refers to when he teaches about the end times. And I believe this is the strongest place in scripture that proves that the same is true about the church. God will rescue his church before the tribulation begins. And when that day comes, here's what it's going to be like. We read this earlier. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Hey, that's going to be pretty cool. Then together we will meet them Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Sandy, you're going to be like, oh, hey, Stan, why'd you leave me so early? But let's go. We're going to be with the Lord now. For the Lord himself will come from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. What a glorious day that will be. And I love the part where Paul says you need to encourage each other with these words. It's not very encouraging if I tell you you have to endure half of the tribulation. Especially if I tell you you have to endure all of the tribulation. That's not very encouraging. But it is quite encouraging to know that God has planned a way of escape for the church prior to the tribulation. So be encouraged. Jesus is coming for his church, and it's going to be very soon. So like I explained to you last week, we are at the end of the end times. We are the generation that Jesus spoke about that will see all the signs of the end times fulfilled, all the prophecies fulfilled. The rapture could happen this year and start the tribulation. It could happen this month. It could happen tomorrow. It it could happen seven years from now. We don't know. We don't know the day or the hour, but we do know the generation. And here we are, 74 years into that generation like I showed you in Psalms last week, a generation is 70 to 80 years. We're 74 years in. Y'all, he's coming. He's coming soon, very soon. And I told you this story last week, but I want to tell you again, because it's so encouraging. A few months ago on a Sunday morning, I was preaching on miracles and spiritual gifts were moving at the end of service. It was a great service. And when it was over, I walked off the stage and went to see my kids. And when I got to the back of the room, my six-year-old stunned me with what she said. She said, hey, dad. I just found out we're all going to go to heaven together. Like you and mom aren't going to die before us. We're all going together. And when she said this, I knew she was speaking about something that she had seen in the spirit. And immediately the Holy spirit revealed to me that she's talking about the rapture of the church. And this isn't something we talk about at home. You guys are probably thinking, yeah, you're a pastor. You're probably talking about this at the dinner table. No, we don't talk about the rapture until recently. Right? Right. Leading up to my preparation for this series, I rarely even thought about the end times. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just like, you know, Jesus will come back when he's ready, and I'll go with him. And I just wasn't really too concerned about it. But at the point when Leanna said this, the Holy Spirit had already been dropping some hints on me that you're going to be talking about the end times next. That's going to be your next series. And then he spoke through my daughter to confirm it before the series even started. It was, it was an incredible experience for me. So I'll tell you what Jesus told me on the morning of April 9th. I hear from the Lord quite often during my quiet time, precious times, but this is the first time he's ever said this to me. And here's what he said. I'm coming soon. Heard it rise up in my spirit. I'm coming soon. And in my thoughts, I pretty much dismissed what he said. I said, yeah, yeah, I know. The Bible told us 2000 years ago that you're coming soon. So if it was soon back then, it ought to be real soon now. Right. And then he said it again. I'm coming soon. Cade, I'm coming soon. And at this point, I began to weep because I realized that he's coming in my lifetime. Just like 1 Thessalonians explains, I'm going to be one of those who are still alive at his coming. And I will meet Jesus in the air, me and my entire family, just like my daughter explained to me. So I have to ask you, are you going to join us? Are you going to join us? The rapture is only for those who have repented of their sins and turned to Jesus Christ. It's only for those who have left their old life behind and embraced new life in Jesus. The rapture is not for the woke church. They ain't going to be raptured. I'm talking about those who say they believe in Jesus, but they choose to live a life of sin. When it comes down to it, the woke church sides with sin over God's word every time. That's how you know if you're part of the woke church. We can say we believe in Jesus all day long, but what really tells the tale is how we live our lives. If you truly believe Jesus is who he says he is, you'll follow him by following his word. I'm not saying you have to live a perfect life, but what I am saying is that when you believe in Jesus and something is revealed in your life that's contrary to the way of Jesus, you say, I'm leaving my way behind. I'm going after Jesus because his way is better. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he gave me new life. I believe his power resides on the inside of me. And that's what enables me to live life the way that he wants me to live. He doesn't expect me to do it on my own. This is a partnership. He's helping me. We're doing this together. I believe that he loves me. So when he asks me to do something that I don't particularly like at the time, I do it anyways, because I know Jesus has my best interests at heart. He knows what he's doing and he knows what he's talking about. I believe in Jesus. So I follow Jesus. And I want to ask you, do you believe in Jesus? check yourself. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you really believe in Jesus? Because now's the time. He's coming back for his church very soon. And trust me, you want to go with us. You don't want to have to learn through God's wrath to believe in Jesus. You want to learn right now. And it all starts with repentance. You must refuse to live life the way that you want to. You got to refuse that and follow Jesus instead. And once you've made that decision you open your mouth and you declare Jesus is Lord. That's what you're saying, right? When you say Jesus is Lord, you're saying my way doesn't matter anymore because he's my leader. He's my way. So if this applies to you today, if you truly believe in Jesus is who he says he is, I want you to repeat this after me. Jesus is my Lord. It's no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. Since Jesus says I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven. Amen. Since Jesus says I'm free from sin, I'm free from sin. Amen. Praise God. Is there anybody who just gave your life to Jesus for the first time? Raise your hand. We want to celebrate with you. Is there anybody who rededicated your life to Jesus today? Raise your hand so we can celebrate with you. Awesome. If you're watching online, drop it in the comments and let us know that you gave your life to Jesus so we can celebrate with you. Thank you so much for joining us and a special thanks to those that give in to our ministry. It's because of your generous giving that we're able to lead people to Jesus and make a difference all around the world. If you're ready to give, head to your browser and type nolimits.fyi into the address bar. And if you were encouraged by this podcast, then hit that share button and pass it on so that others can be encouraged as well. Or you can even take a screenshot and share it on your social stories. Thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.